Welcome to Base Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Today's podcast, which is number 12, is the final episode of Series 1, and the topic today is another favourite five. Hello, Susan, how are you? I'm good, David, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And you've chosen five favourite bass CDs we're going to talk about today. Excellent, yes, I have. And what's interesting is when you suggested this idea, and you said you have something like 400 bass CDs of, you know, I thought, wow, I have like maybe two and I have maybe 500 orchestral CDs. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I, of course, like any person would do, I think I waited a few days before I even addressed the issue because I couldn't handle the thought that I didn't have a lot of solo bass recordings. However, when I then decided to actually open up, I still have compact discs because a lot of the things that I have, I can't find on YouTube or yes. Spotify and Amazon music and all that sort of stuff. So I still, I have all my old CDs from when I was in high school and in college and things. I started sifting through my collection. Now I have nothing like you as far as an extensive collection. But I'd say I had at least 50 or 60 and I was floored. I was shocked and excited and kind of, yeah, I was kind of proud of myself because, you know, I mean, I have several box sets of all of the Beethoven symphonies and I have mm. Beethoven five itself. I think I have 12 recordings at least. Wow. And then I thought, yeah. I mean, cause that was sort of the focus for me mm. when I was in college and, you know, also Sparks Zarathustra and Einheldenleben, I have, 10 recordings of each of those, you know, so that I had a lot of, but I started pulling out the, the CDs from my collection. Some of them are by composer, the way I've organized them. Some mm. of them are by performer. I've realized I need to just dump them all on the dining room table and reorganize <laughs> them because it's kind of strange how they're put together. I have a lot and there were a lot that were for me kind of influential. I thought. Yeah. Isn't it interesting when you go back? and start yeah. looking again at the collection you have yep and yep. you start listening again and it's 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 just like like going back to the past you you suddenly remember yes. where you bought this and and yes. where you were studying and what you were doing at the time oh totally i remembered i actually had like very vivid memories then of in high school on a friday night my boyfriend and i would go into boston because we lived really close to the suburbs and we would go to tower records which was six floors mm. of compact discs and records and tapes and i would always go to the classical music floor this is one of the only places that had an entire floor dedicated to classical music and i would hunt through the double bass section mm. there was one it was small but it had sort of a revolving door of things coming through and i started remembering you know high school and and college trips to the to the recording store yeah. and it was very exciting and what's interesting is i chose five it was hard but i chose five and a lot of the names are names that i now know but when i was a kid when i bought the cds I was like, oh, who's this Klaus Stoll guy? Hmm. Okay, I'm sure he's probably pretty good. And Wolfgang Guttler, is that his name? Hmm, I wonder who he is. And now I'm like, oh my God, I have that recording? That's a really good recording. <laughs> so it's been it's been really fun and I'm really glad you suggested this idea. Um, so the first one I wanted to talk about was uh, a CD. It's a Bodicini recording of um, a video Badila playing 
and on the CD itself, it's the second concerto, the first concerto, the grand duo concertante, and the variations on a Rococo theme. And I thought, when I got it, I actually have to tell you this is terrible. I think this is bootlegged. And my dad found it for me somewhere. And he <laughs> made a copy of it and he did this really cute thing where he printed out what the the jacket and the liner notes are like but he actually printed them out and he put them in like a a homemade cd carrier and i remember thinking i've never heard of this guy before a video badila hmm. and i listened to the recording and i thought wow this guy's pretty good huh and, <laughs> yeah, and now yeah now yeah. now <laughs> i've taught the the threnody um for him and you know mm -hmm. i've i've taught people my students about him and about his playing and things like that and so to, i didn't even realize that i had this recording even though i listened to it a lot as a kid like the name somehow didn't stick because i didn't remember who he i didn't know who he was when i was a kid and i didn't remember that i owned the cd so um anyway without further ado so i was listening to the second concerto which is the piece that made me want to become a bass player um, and I've really, I mean, I've probably never heard a recording of this piece where I didn't hear something special in the, in the recording because I love Botticini's writing so much, but I, I thought that, um, a video's playing, it's really beautiful. It's, it's sensitive and, and very, um, despite playing German bow, he kept captures, I think the Italian feel, no, I'm just kidding. I just had to say something fresh about German bow. <laughs> But I, I really, really loved, you know, I, I listened to, for this purpose of, of today's podcast, I was mm -hmm. focusing on the first movement and it's just, I mean, it's, it's warm, it's beautiful. It's such a lovely piece. And I really enjoyed his playing. Did you get a chance to listen to this one? Yeah. Well, I knew a video. He's one of my great friends. Yeah. And so I heard him live and we spent hours and hours talking and drinking and each other's company. He, he was fantastic. He, he was the real deal. The video, he was. I thought he was the next great player, mm -hmm. and I've heard many, many great players, and he was greater than than the greatest. He was, yeah. he was a true musician. He he really his technique was was impeccable. It really was fantastic, um, and he he didn't have an ego because he knew he was the best. It was so <laughs> so amazing, really. You know, just to think that this world class player was my friend. It was really very surreal, because um, I, I I'm still starstruck by by all these great people I, I know and work with. And Ovidia was, I think, was one of the greatest. He was also really funny and a big sense of humor and everything he did was big. And I, I think we talked last week when I, I chose my five and my favorite um, photograph is about 1 a.m. in the morning when we were in Odense in Denmark. There's um, the big bass conference and there was me, Ovidia Bedella and Tepa Hataho. And we were outside a kebab shop and one of my students with me took a photograph of the three of us standing there. I, st I think I still got my concert clothes on and uh, I was all in black and we we're all having a kebab. And that's 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, but while we were having one kebab, the video had two. And that, but that was a video. And but his the quality of his playing was, I think, stunning. And the slow movement, I think, is is one of the oh, best. It's this beautiful. One. Yes. But he, he he just exuded style when he sat behind the behind a bass. He just yeah. he had no technical issues at all. But he was also a quality musician. That was the 
the difference because many there are many bass players who are te technicians not always great musicians but Ovidiu had had it all um yeah. and a nice chap as well that was the great thing so I, I loved coming back to this one and yeah. uh, and the cadenza was so fast and he did tell me a story and I don't know how true it is and it's only one side of the story and when he was in Romania um he, he was always quite outspoken about the uh, communist regime so eventually he had to leave he managed to get over the border um I think he left one night and he said he all he had on him were his clothes he had nothing he couldn't have didn't have a base money mm. he said he slept in barns under bridges you know wow. and he'd heard about this great player Ludwig Stryker in Vienna mm. and he managed to get across Europe to to Vienna and he said to to Ludwig Stryker Professor Stryker I'm here to study with you and Stryker said no money no lessons Oh. I don't know how true that was, but I remember a video saying, so to me, Stryker doesn't exist. But again, yeah. why should Stryker teach for no money? You know, it, it's right, right. I'm only hearing one side, so you can't can't really judge. Sure. But the Stryker recording of the Bottasini concerto is fantastic. I, that, yes. I think it's my second, yes. my third or fourth, fourth record I bought. Um, and the cadenza, after the cadenza of the first movement, a video plays twice as fast as striker and striker was great i thought he's i really loved his playing and i when i saw him in 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 denmark i said it sounded like you're out striker striker and uh, there was just a little glint in his eye and i knew what he was doing and he said you didn't teach me and i'm better than you and it's yeah. so I, I wrote a review of this i think for the strad magazine and in it i put he out striker striker and they didn't <laughs> understand what that meant so they oh. took it out of course um so, yeah, so I, I think you've chosen a lovely recording there. Yeah, I just, you know, and I was so excited when I came across it because I knew of him finally because of you and mm. your stories that we've talked about in mm. the past few years and also, you know, pieces that you've published and things. And, and I thought, wow, this is a gem of a recording that I had completely had forgotten I had because as, you know, a young student dreaming of being an orchestral player mm. at first, um, I didn't really know the names of, of the soloists. And yeah. so he was just, you know, that awesome recording that I had. Um, so that's, to me, that's a really cool, very special one because now it has more meaning to me than it did when I first got it. My next recording, this one's kind of has a little bit of a backstory. Um, I guess all of them probably do a little bit. So when I was um, heading into my senior year of high school, I had surgery and I was very, very sick. And I was sort of in and, the in and out of the hospital all summer and I was completely bedridden for the summer. And that was, that's a, a something that most people don't actually know about me. Mm. Um, but my bass teacher at the time was Pascal Delash Feldman, and she was super supportive and very kind to me during this really hard time in my life. And she would come to visit me. I mean, she wasn't giving me bass lessons. I actually wasn't walking. Um, she wasn't being paid to come see me. She would just drive up to my house mm. and 
hang out and visit and and she brought me a number of of cds things that were way outside of my little confines of what i thought of music she brought me ray brown um a whole bunch of different things but one that stuck with me she, she brought me a couple of cds of l'orchestra de contrabasses and she had been at the paris conservatory with some of the guys in the group so um she was really proud of them and, and really, you know, she's like, oh, you've got to hear this. This is great. The CD that really stuck with me the most was Le Cargo. And it's, you know, nine tracks on it that I have to tell you that picking my favorite from this CD was hard because the CD had so many, to me, mind-blowing new things. And so I pulled the CD out a couple weeks ago and I started listening and I actually made my husband Kevin sit down and listen with me because he's never heard this CD and he was really enjoying it and I'd be like oh I love this piece all right let's listen to this one and then that one would end and you go to the next one oh 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 Sablier I love this one oh how oh these are so great Beret Beret this is so cool I and every single one I got very excited and I looked at them at, at Kevin at the end of listening to the whole CD and I said to him I have to pick one Oh no, but I did. I chose its track five. It's called Palmas and it was written by uh, Renaud Garcia Fons. And what I think it, it was really hard to choose just one, but the reason why I chose this one is, you know, the opening of it, you've got strumming like as if it's guitar type of strumming on the bass and tapping on the bass and clapping in these great rhythms. And then it, there's this pizzicato and arco melody where, you know, one guy's playing with a bow, one guy's playing pretty much the same thing pizzicato, but it really works together beautifully. Um, the melodies and the counter melodies are great. They use the whole range of the bass. I thought it was really interesting. Um, one of the guys has taken a solo and he's singing what he's playing as he's playing it in a very jazz style that my students at Berkeley will do that sort of thing. But I'd never heard that done before. I didn't know that was like a, I'm thinking of the notes and so I'm singing them, but I'm also playing them on the bass. Um, but in this piece, it feels like it's a, a four minute introduction. And at like about the four minute mark, the whole thing comes together. And if we finally get this big open, this is the melody of the whole piece type of a thing. Um, and it's just, it's really fun. And it was the first time I had encountered so many harmonics and tremolos and percussive things more than just a concerto where there's just, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lyrical line and that's it. And I get very excited talking about it because I even put it on again this morning before, before we met up here. And I was like, yeah, you know, really kicks in my 18 year old Susan <laughs> excitement of wow these are the things the bass can do these are the things I try to teach my students pretty much not right away but pretty much right away so that you don't feel like maybe someday I'll get to do that because when I was in college I was telling you I wanted to get a group together that could play some of the pieces from this recording because I knew some of them had been published and man, some of the guys were scared. Some of the guys were going, oh, I just don't have time to practice it because they're hard. And I was so disappointed because I really wanted to play them. <laughs> now, you you know this, this CD or this piece. I do. And you were saying about the nine tracks and it's it's yeah. like nine favorite pieces. It was, mm -hmm. it was amazing. I, I'd never heard of them. And I helped set up a Double Basis magazine many, many years ago. Yeah. And I think the first couple of, of issues... I think I reviewed half a dozen six CDs in each magazine. 
And there were two CDs from L'Orchestre de Contrabasse. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely blown away by everything. I'd never heard playing like it. It's not only different, it was also quality. And the, the musicianship and the ensemble were stunning. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. And it was, it was everything which we didn't do on the bass at the time. Right. And they put them all together and it works. And just every piece, I think, is... Is stunning, and you, I think you chose a really fantastic one with Palmas. My favorite is is Weekend at Deauville. Um, isn't that one great? <laughs> and I've, I think I've got the the music for it, and I think it's it's quite quite aleatoric, and um, so every performance will be different. But it's just yeah. such amazing music, um, and you can just hear the. The, the quality of the players and as a composer I'm sort of listening to the effects and how and you said about one playing Arco and then another playing it um, pizzicato and it's right. such a nice effect that one it's yeah really, it's really well done and so my next I, duet. I, <laughs> yeah, I think so I think we maybe for April um, I, think, I think it was kind of an interesting overlap of like jazz and classical mm. the best aspects of both of them and like you said all of these players are so talented. Mm. And I think that makes a world of difference because if you even had one weak link, it wouldn't but you, sound you like know, it as does. a performer how many hours we put into to everything we do. And you can hear the hours they put into this because it is just the ensemble is superb. Right. It's right. just absolutely fantastic. And it, it's really, you know, half a dozen players at the, the top of their game who right. really knew what they were doing. And it sounds like they love what they're doing. It does, doesn't it? Mm. And it's, I think that was part of what was inspirational to me as a kid was the, I felt like I could feel and hear their excitement. Mm. And it's fantastic. Sort of, so, shall we listen yeah. to part of uh, Paulus? Yes. So <laughs> the next CD, um, this one, I guess they all have stories, don't they? Music is, is more than just music to me. There's mm. always a story that goes with it. So when I was a fellowship student at Tangwood Music Center, the summer home of the Boston Symphony, uh, one of the summers we did an exchange with the Gustav, uh, Gustav Mahler Jugend Orchestra mm. in Germany. And it was that they had 12 bass players and they were all guys. And our section had seven bass players and I was the only person that wasn't a guy. And the Boston Symphony had nine bass players, all guys. And the high school, the Boston University Tangoid Institute had eight and they were all guys. So I was sort of the, the lone gal amongst 40 some odd bass players. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. We got to collaborate with these students that weren't just from Germany. Um, mm. It's the Gustav Mahler Youth Orchestra is sort of like the European equivalent at the time mm. of Tanglewood. And yeah. everyone's sort of the same level, the same age group, that sort of thing. And I mean, the guys that were in that section are now, they a lot of them have 
huge jobs all over the world. And one mm. of them was Diego Zacharias. And Diego um, and I sat down and played some Bartok duets and we played excerpts together and really learned a lot from each other. So years later, it must have been about 2015, um, I was at the, an ISB convention out in Colorado. It was the first one I'd been to and I went, maybe it was 2017, and I went and I played with my boss from Berkeley, Steve Bailey. But I saw a recital was being given by Diego, who of course, I mean, there was no Facebook or anything like that, so we didn't hadn't kept in touch. But I went to Diego's recital and um, I was like, oh my gosh, I introduced myself and he totally remembered me and it was really, it was really great. One of the pieces on his recital was the first time I ever heard any of Simone Garcia's music. Mm. And this is the Transience of Life. And that was written in memory of Franciszek Poszta. So it's kind of meaningful to you. Now, Recital Music published this, didn't they? I commissioned this. Yes. It's written for Fabulous. me. <laughs> I love it. This is so cool. It was so interesting. When you, you chose all these CDs, I thought, wow, I've got a story for each CD. Yeah. This, so this one, yeah, I commissioned. Um, I, I think it was 2014. Uh, Frank would have been 95. Mm. So I commissioned a series of pieces. I, um, and I wrote a couple of pieces. Um, and it was a really nice piece from Simon. Really nice. So yeah, I do yeah. publish it. And I wrote the CD notes for this CD. Uh, Diego asked me to do that, and it was so interesting. When I, I was looking today, he never thanked me in his in the <laughs> CD. He thanks everybody else, and there's no mention of me. <laughs> well, we have a, a belated thank you for writing those notes. <laughs> I, I loved writing them. I have to say, yeah, I think I knew all the pieces, um, and some of them we publish, which is quite yeah. nice. Um, in fact, most of the pieces we put, when I look at it, most of the pieces we publish, yeah. and it's, it's really nice. But Transits of Life was really an, a really fantastic piece. I loved it. And I was it's... so grateful to Simon. And I, I can't yeah. remember where I got the commission fee from. I, maybe maybe I paid for it or I got yeah. a few few people to, to put money together to commission him. But it's a really fantastic piece. I think it should be better known. I, I think, think it, it should really be too. Is, it uses the I... bass really well. It really does. The first I heard Diego play it live and mm. I actually ran up to him afterwards. I said, okay, where did you get this? Who publishes it? Mm. I need this piece. I have to learn it. And he said, oh, mm. Recital Music publishes it. Mm. It's David Hayes. Just, you know, get a copy on his website. So I did. And this was before I knew you. Mm. Um, and so this was one of many things that I purchased and I learned it. I put it on a recital. I absolutely love the piece. And so when Simone's CD came out, I said, oh, geez, I've got to get this CD just because, you know, mm. he's an old friend and all that. And I was like, oh, the transcendence of life is on this too, which is great. Um, this, is, this is a fun CD because there's a lot of really good music on it. But to me, this Simone Garcia piece is pivotal for me because it opened a door of learning and performing new music from living composers mm. and it was just really exciting and i started from this piece i started to learn things like who you are mm. who poshta was um and all of this history that informs all the music now being written and so this it's a great recording of the piece if it weren't I would still love it because of the piece and what it means to me and how it's sort of changed the trajectory of my life in some respects. Um, but so I, I saw this and I thought, I'd forgotten that I even had the CD. <laughs> <laughs> well, Simon, I think, is a great composer. He writes really, 
fantastic music. And and it's it's interesting this one because it's quite episodic, and often there's no link from one section to the next. It just right. it just changes from first gear to fourth gear, but it yeah. works. And that's it your does. job as a musician is to work out how to get from first gear to fourth gear. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like you're going from first gear to fourth gear. Right. And it's, he he really does know how to to use the bass well. And he's he's really funny because he's a, he's a really great player, um, but he would never say he was. And he always said, I, I don't care about the difficulties. It's not my problem. It's your problem. And uh, he, he said, my problem is writing it. And yeah. uh, and sometimes I commissioned him. And I said, I'm really looking forward to to hearing this piece. He says, so am I. Because he, <laughs> he hadn't written it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, you know, Simone is a great person to work with. And I've gotten to perform his concerto for Amplified mm. Double Bass and String Orchestra. Well, twice last season, twice this coming season, well, with two different orchestras, technically mm -hmm. it'll be three performances. Um, and, you know, I just, his music is, it's fun to play and uh, entertaining for the audiences. And, you know, he always has a little bit of like a Spanish flair, which of course he's Spanish, mm -hmm. so it makes sense. But it, that's, in America these days, that's very appreciated. People are loving, mm -hmm. you know, new flavors and rhythms and things like that so i think that you know that's really fun i want people to get to hear a little bit of this piece well it's nice because we'll play some of simon's music in april yes. when we come out to boston yes and his, 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 audiences love his music and it's so nice it's nice to play and my students love playing it they enjoy learning too. it and it, it, they learn lots of different things because it's not yeah. just about playing the notes it's also about right. playing the style and how how the parts fit together and yes. so I'm, I'm sure all uh, your students will love to hear more of Simon's music. Oh, they will, for sure. Mm. I think I think all the audiences will. So, so shall we hear let... a little bit of this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't not have a Gary Carr CD mm. on here, right? Yeah. He's just, he's been so pivotal for the double bass world just from the beginning of when he started playing and performing. Um, this was another CD that, that my teacher in high school, Pascal Delash Feldman, had given me. She gave me a couple of Gary Carr CDs. And this one here is um, the Basso Cantabile CD where he does arias, opera arias, um, 16 tracks on it. And Again, I mean, they're all quite lovely and they're all really fun. But the one that got me, track 10, is the Donizetti Una Furtiva Lagrima. Um, the reason why I love this one so much, this piece really spoke to me when I was in high school. And I loved it so much that I would put the CD on and I, would, I transcribed it by hand stupidly not realizing it had been published and that I could get access to it. I could have gotten the vocal part and gone mm -hmm. from there. There were a million ways I could have done it, but I was so excited by it that I actually sat down and anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a person who likes to take the time to transcribe mm -hmm. things. I really don't. I get a little bit like, oh God, can't this be done already? Um, but I loved it so much that I enjoyed transcribing it. 
Um, and I've actually put this piece on recitals with my dad playing, uh, I believe it was guitar. It could have been electric bass, but I'm pretty sure he was accompanying me mm. playing guitar. Um, it's, and I've actually gotten to play the opera and every time you get to that aria, I'm like, oh, I love this aria. <laughs> But it, it was the moment where, you know, Gary just really makes the bass sing and you can really hear how the instrument is an extension of the human voice. And thank God, because I really shouldn't sing. My students all know I'll sing to them. I really shouldn't. Um, but I can I can do it through my bass. And I just if you just feel like you're flying when you when you play these opera arias and this every I think every piece on this CD, they're all quite lovely. Uh, I mean, you know, the Sonambula is on this too. I mean, it's just such great stuff. But the Una Furtiva Lagrima was one that just really stuck with me, maybe because of my age at the time and the melodramatic <laughs> feeling of it was just perfect. <laughs> have you listened to this one? I have. I had heard the CD forever. Um, I've, yeah. I've known Gary for a long time. I, I heard him play when I was about 17 or 18, so it's two or three years ago now. And... Uh, <laughs> If only. And he, he very kindly sent me a whole bunch of, of CDs. Um, and this I love this one because this is this is what Gary does. He sings. Um, and, and this particular one is so soulful, the beauty of his tone. And you can hear he means every note. And you can almost hear the words he plays with such emotion. It's, it's really quite beautiful. And the Harmon accompanying, they really were the, the perfect duo. They really were. They were. You know, I, I found this, Bottasini did an arrangement of this. Mm. And I didn't know about it. I, I was at a friend's house and he got a, a copy of Bottasini's method from, I think, French edition. And it was the back in the back there. He, he arranged these little opera arias and this was one of them. So I got a copy of it. And so we, we published this one and I played it in London. And uh, I, I was doing a, a concert with a singer and uh, she wanted to cut me to do a couple of solos. So it gave her a rest. And I played it and I got a lovely review. And he said, it, well, I think it was nice. I I, I cut, <laughs> cut off part of it. And he said, a dazzling display of the instrument's bel canto qualities. Oh, isn't that fantastic? And yes! The, but then he said, if somewhat genteel. And, I, oh. and I'm not sure whether that's that's a compliment. So I used to ignore that I bit. I think it is. No, I think that's a good thing. I think it means you weren't too in your face with it, maybe. That's how yeah. I would take it. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I took I took it out anyway. I just I just put <laughs> the, the dazzling display of these sort of this. So I always love this aria because it brings back those, that nice, oh, lovely, yeah. nice quote. But to hear Gary play. Yeah. Is, I, I've always loved Gary's playing and performances. Yeah. And yeah, every really time cool. I've heard him live, I just come away feeling so enthused that I can do it as well. And I go and get my bass out and just everything is possible. Yeah. Um, and and well, this one, yeah, I, I think you've chosen a really magnificent performance here. Good. Well, Gary's so enthusiastic and it's, it's not just palpable. I think it's contagious in a good way. Mm -hmm. I know that's not a word we use anymore ever since the pandemic, but I feel like his excitement when you talk to him, when you hear him, mm. you come away from that conversation or, or exchange invigorated and in, in thinking mm -hmm. I can do this too not yes. because he wasn't great he's great but mm. because he's so enthusiastic you can't help but but be touched by that and I think it's really cool that, um, that's one thing I would try and teach my my students about people who've gone before us mm. and how much an in, influence Gary has been and how he's changed the base world and it's because of him we are where we are 
he's yeah. done a lot of the hard work. He's taken a lot of the criticism, um, which allows us to to take it further. I think he's done a magnificent job. I have yeah. only uh, respect for Gary. I, I think he's absolutely amazing character. And we we did an interview with him, we which was, was fantastic. And so it was much even, fun. even funnier the bit when he was talking before we started recording. There, there were yes. things we couldn't say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just so much fun to, to chat with i mean exactly. you feel like you could just hang out with him for days and just keep having new conversations and so much so much fun and and i think that personality there is really what mm. comes through in his playing too so shall we listen to a little bit of this i think we should And that brings us to my fifth CD. And this, this is a special CD to me too, because this was something that my parents bought me as a Christmas gift when I was in college. Um, they were very excited to have found a collection of, you know, double bass music. And this is another one. I looked at the cover. I'm like, hmm, Wolfgang Guttler, Wolfgang Haro, Gary Carr, Klaus Stoll. Well, I know Gary Carr. I wonder who these other people are. <laughs> now that I'm old, I know. <laughs> This is a gem of a recording, and it has Bottasini, it has the Paganini Moses variations, it has a very lovely piece by Bosmotier for bass and cello um, with Jörg Baumann playing. Um, the, the piece that I would always get stuck on in this CD was the Bottasini Grand Con Concerto in Four Tempos, and I really, I, I mean, I would listen, I would let the whole CD run and I would get kind of antsy halfway through the Paganini, which is the last track, because I'd want to restart the CD and hear this Bottasini again. Um, and it's, it was just really fun for me to hear. It's, it's Wolfgang Guttler and Klaus Stoll playing the bass parts. And it was a piece, well, it's a piece I've still never performed. It was a piece that I didn't even know existed, which you'll see that's a recurring theme of, as far as solo literature went for me for many years. If it wasn't something on an orchestral audition, I didn't always know about it. Mm. And I would just, I would, I would sing along with it. And I just love <laughs> the piece and the playing is just splendid. It's absolutely, you know, 14 minutes of glorious playing of a beautiful piece. And I would just, I loved it. It's still a piece I want to perform. You've it's listened funny, to When it. you mentioned this one, um, the CD you, you had, I didn't have, but when I checked, I have a slightly different version of it, mm. um, which has all the same pieces, except the Boismortier. Um, okay. So mine, I think, is a, is an earlier edition, and right. and I I didn't know what Grand Concerto in four tempos. I'd never heard of that piece. And then right. when I listened, ah, right, it's the Passione Amorosa, um, <laughs> and they then added the slow movement of the Rossini Fantasy, originally for two basses. So all it is is the Passione Amorosa plus an extra movement. It just makes it 
um, a little bit longer because Passione is only 10 minutes. This just adds another four minutes. So it's, it's a nice piece to put into a concert. And it yeah. also means you've got slow, fast, slow, fast, which right. works really well. But their, their playing is, is, is fantastic. And listening to it today, it was interesting. I suddenly realised the difference between French bow and German bow. So you're playing Bottasini. Um, and you wow, wow, it's different. It's different. And it's it's how how you play. I thought you weren't going to say that. <laughs> well, it, it, I suddenly realized that it, it's the German boat. Well, it depends how you play it, obviously. Yes. But I, I suddenly thought, wow, it, it's these are German boat players playing Bottasini. Still works, obviously, because they're fantastic players. Right. But it, it just shows it's it's the the bows are slightly different. Are they slightly different? I don't know. Um, it depends I do think that they playing. lend themselves to like a certain sound unless mm. you are intentionally trying to get a different sound. And I, like what you're talking about, I remember with uh, Beethoven 9, with the, the Russets, when I played these through with Diego, who played mm. German bow, mm. he was, you know, heavier and fuller and much more in the string and much more German sounding. And I remember coming away from that saying to him, I need to play it, even though I play French bow, I need to play it sounding like you. Mm. And still, every time I play that excerpt, or if I perform it with an orchestra, I think of Diego and how really German bow lends itself so well to that passage. And mm. I try to emulate that. And he said to me at the time, oh, there's some things that French bow, it just sounds so much better on and I have to try to make mm. myself sound like French bow. And, you know, I mean, it's not that one is better than the other. They each lend themselves naturally mm. to one or an another type of sound. This recording is 35 years old. So, and a lot has changed in 35 years. It but sure it, has. it's interesting. It's, it's, yeah, it's how you use the bow, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. Um, Avidio Badilla is a German bow player, but he doesn't sound like a German bow player. No. He's just pure style and quality first. It, it was interesting. I I really I, I love their playing because I I love Guttler and Klaus Stoll. I've always been great fans of theirs. I've got yep. uh, lots of recordings of theirs. Um, yeah. But it, it's it's interesting how thirty five years ago it was slightly different. Yes, it was. Mm. It really truly was. I think people should have a little listen to this piece now. great playing i mean you know I, I, think, I think it still stands up i have to say it's it's really Absolutely. fantastic I, I think you've chosen five really interesting cds there i've really enjoyed listening to them again i'm so glad because when i first went digging through my collection i thought gosh i don't even know if i have anything that's you know worthy of of talking about i mean mm. But I didn't realize how many great recordings I actually had acquired, which is very exciting to me. And it sort of reinvigorated my popping a CD into my, yes, I still have a CD player because I need it in order to play my CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and well, just I started listening. buying records when I was about 17. I think I bought sure. my first bass record when I was 16 or 17. Yep. Um, and then I, I, I think I collected up to about lockdown. And then mm -hmm. I thought I, I got enough. And I got about 100 LPs 
and then I don't know, maybe 300 CDs. And I think I've, I've probably now got enough. If you want to send me one free of charge, I'm more than happy to accept it. Um, <laughs> and I think I've got enough, if I'm honest. I think I've right. supported the base world enough by buying oh, CDs. Yes. So, but it, it's interesting, and it's interesting coming back to them, not having yes. listened to them for a while. It's yep. really interesting how, how you change and your perspective changes. It's true. And as I've gotten older, the more players that I've learned about or met or come across and suddenly they're not just names on a jacket mm. lining they're people that I've heard of or maybe even met mm. and that's kind of cool too because that just brings it to life a bit more but this was this was such a great project I'm so glad that you suggested this because it made me re-listen to a whole bunch of of recordings and really got me excited about music again not that i wasn't but you know <laughs> re-excited about things i'm already excited about but it's it was very fun i really loved this i think it's a great way to wrap up our first season of podcasts too so do i, I is, is this number 12 i think it is isn't it this is number 12 and wow. Wow. yeah this is this is such a fun project i'm excited about season two we have some really cool um plans in the works for everybody to listen to um, but I really, we want to thank everybody for listening to season one of Base Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Like and subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on YouTube and all of your favorite podcast providers. And I want to thank you to our new sponsor, Grace Gallery Design. Uh, they make beautiful, yay! <laughs> they make beautiful jewelry and, and some um, hand-painted wooden items. And some of them light up very, like, you know, decorative things for your home and beautiful gifts and uh, they offer free shipping in America and they almost always have some sort of special sale going on. Check them out at gracegallerydesign.net and I hope you enjoy their things as much as I do. Gosh knows I use them for almost all of my <laughs> gift giving needs. <laughs> well, it's and been very nice. Series one, I really enjoyed. So thank you really very much for all your, your great uh, contributions and collaborations. It's been really, I've really enjoyed every minute of it so much fun and I can't wait for the next series of them because well we can't tell everyone what we have up our sleeves but it's exciting and it's going to be great <laughs> I, I think the the first episode of series two will be fantastic I think it will be with our special guest and I'm not our saying special guest. nope but it's someone everyone already knows and loves so I know they're going to love this exactly. all right everybody we can't wait to see you in the next series and you all take care of yourselves bye bye Thank uh...